the very first thing that everybody talks about is multifamily because it's the most stable asset class you can get yourself into. And that's why there's a lot of money chasing after it. And so as I started to study, I realized, well, number one, it's scalable like what we talked about. You can build a healthy real estate portfolio by buying single family residence and continue to acquire until you run out of time and money. But with multifamily, you can scale into millions of dollars of wealth if you just focus. It's it basically multifamily builds wealth much faster. Welcome to the Journey to Multifamily Millions podcast. Start your journey today of building wealth through multifamily real estate investing. Listen to inspiring conversations with experts in the field from every step of the process. It doesn't matter if you are new to multifamily real estate or if you're already the savvy pro, we cover it all. And now your host, founder and CEO of Zana Investments, Tim Little. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Journey to Multifamily Millions. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Zana Investments, Tim Little. And on today's show, we have with us Jim Lee. Jim is a founder and managing partner at Formosa Investing, a multifamily investment firm focused on creating significant passive income to their investors and improving the communities they invest in. Starting with a two-bed, one-bath condo, Jim has built his portfolio to over 600 units in the past two years. Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and it's great to have you on. So I gave everyone a very high-level overview of your background, but on this show, we really like to get into the details of how you got started on your journey. So please take us back to the beginning and tell us how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. My name is Jim. I got my degree in economics from UCLA back in 2010. I started my career as an inside sales representative for Lupna and Coastar, which is pretty much Zillow for commercial real estate. From there, I just learned everything I needed to learn about commercial investing, commercial real estate. I talked to pretty much investors, agents, brokers, lenders, all sorts of type of real estate investors out there. And I started, I used I basically leveraged, used my savings from that job to purchase my first two-bed, one-bath condo and learned the importance of having a most stream of income. Now, fast forward seven years later, I became a realtor thinking that I can get my own deals, find my own deals and purchase more rental properties. Then lockdown happened and that was when I realized, okay, I got to, maybe there's alternative ways of making money through real estate. And that's when I started studying syndication. And now I started doing that, never looked back. And that's how I managed to be able to invest in over 600 units in the past two years where I participated as general partner and limited partner. No, that's really interesting. Just your background, because you're in the room, as it were, when it comes to multifamily and syndication, because you were at HeadLoopNet, CoStar, So I have to imagine you're dealing directly with a lot of buyers who, just like you are now, multifamily syndicators. Is that true? And if so, I'm curious why you started with the smaller single family if you had seen what was going on in that multifamily space. I think that's a good question. I think mainly it's because I just graduated from college in my early 20s, all kinds of fear, right? Fear is what 
really stops us from taking action. And I think at back in the day to even imagine, okay, let's just go after 20 units, 100 unit apartment building on my first deal. It's that fear that's getting in my way. And that's why I started off as a two bedroom, one bathroom condo. And also because I was raised with savers mentality. I never used debt. When I first started investing, I didn't use debt. And so I bought my two bedroom, one bathroom condo all cash, thinking that this is probably, this is the best way to invest when it's, when later down the road, I learned that it's not. That's interesting. And where do you think that savers mentality came from? Is that just how you were raised and how your family was growing up? Absolutely. I was born and raised in Taiwan with savers mentality. In Asian culture, we've been taught if you can't pay for something in cash, you can't afford it. So in our mind, debt is slavery and cash is freedom. The philosophy runs counter to heavy debt and consumerism culture in America. As you, you and I know that as a real estate investor, we all know that debt is the ultimate tool to use that's being used to amplify our return on investment for some reason. It takes a lot of courage like me to take some sort of action to want to borrow when I can be living comfortably debt-free. Yeah. When you leverage, when you leverage the investment, you reap the benefits of appreciation on the asset value while only having a small percentage of your own money in the deal. And that's something that I truly learned as I bought my first two bedroom, one bathroom condo is that these are, it just takes education, right? To create, to it's just my lack of education, which created fear in my mind to not want to borrow. Also, I was living in my bubble because I was getting comfortable, like I mentioned earlier. So getting out of the comfort zone wasn't easy, but it can be very rewarding. You just have to educate yourself, read books, listen to podcasts, attend seminars, join mastermind groups, network, and surround yourself with like-minded people. And you're able to shift from that saver's mentality to borrow's mentality. Yeah. And I think you hit on a couple of important points. One is culture. That's it's real, right? And so the experiences that we or our parents have had can significantly impact our views on money, debt, et cetera. I know like with my wife's parents, they're from Cambodia and Vietnam. And so the this idea that government could collapse at any time and something could happen, that fear is always there. So it's like they always have things saved up and it may be in gold, like it, like physical gold sit, sitting around uh, just in case something happens. The American government topples tomorrow. At least they have that asset that they can use to buy the things that they need because that's just how impactful their personal experiences were. So that can definitely have a huge impact. And I think the other important point that you talked about was the comfort and how easy it is to get comfortable, especially when you have a decent job, right? Like it's one thing if you're struggling, because then you'll search for answers. You have that motivation to find a way out. But if you're comfortable and you're doing fine, then that push isn't really there necessarily to get you out of that. So you have to find that why, as it were, to push you outside of that comfort zone and to take those risks that you otherwise wouldn't because you didn't see the need. Absolutely. But and I want to go back to the uh, the LoopNet and CoStar things. I, the only reason I thought it was interesting is because most people don't even know that syndication is a thing from my experience and from my personal experience. I didn't know what syndication was. I didn't really understand it. And when I would see apartment buildings, I would like you were thinking in your 20s, hey, how is that even possible? Unless I have hundreds of thousands of dollars just lying around. So I'm glad you were able to 
parlay and pivot basically into that multifamily space. And I would still have to think that your exposure to what those deals look like and just the how to evaluate those types of properties would have been an asset once you did start investing in multifamily. Do you feel like that was the case? I actually didn't get too much into the underwriting part. It was mainly just talking to people, selling them on subscription. When it comes that, I think that's, again, I think that's why I lack education in that field where I don't feel confident enough to get myself involved in multifamily just yet. And And I see that a lot with my current investor as well. People are thinking just not, I guess like they're not thinking big enough because it's a lot easier to scale if you actually get into multifamily and versus building your portfolio, one single family residence at a time, one SFR at a time. Yeah. And I think a lot of us realize that when we start out on that journey, like I said, we start out on bigger pockets or whatever the case may be. We're like, okay, we'll start buying single family homes. And then everyone tells us to figure out our freedom number. How many units will I need to own in order to generate enough cash flow to leave my job, for example? And everyone does that math and they're like, okay, I need to own. And then it's, wait a second, I need to own 50 houses before based on this assumption, 100 to $200 cash flow every month. And oh, by the way, that cash flow could be completely evaporated with one major repair. And yeah, it makes sense at first, I think. But once people start doing the math for the scaling, then it becomes clear that it's not as easy as it seemed at first. It's certainly a way if you have two or three single family houses, it can help you build wealth for sure, especially if you see significant appreciation. But if you don't see that appreciation or you do have significant repairs. You could go in reverse in the worst case scenario, but even in the best case scenario, it's going to take a really long time to build to the point where you're replacing an income. That's what I've seen at least. Yep. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I went through the same thing as well. (laughs) And I think that's what becomes like the forcing mechanism for people like, like you and me to say, wait, what Okay, there there has to be a better way. Talk to me a little bit about the first time you started looking into multifamily and why you ended up on that as the the asset class that, that you were gonna focus. Sure. So I started studying real estate syndication during lockdown when I couldn't host any hope open house as a realtor. So then the very first thing that everybody talks about is multifamily because it's the most a stable asset class you can get yourself into. And that's why there's a lot of money chasing after it. And so as I started to study, I realized, well, number one, it's scalable, right? It's scalable, like what we talked about. You can build a healthy real estate portfolio by buying single family residence and continue to acquire until you run out of time and money. But with multifamily, you can scale into millions of dollars of wealth. If you just focus, it's it basically multifamily builds wealth much faster. I think several key points would be leverage. When you leverage the investment, you read the benefits of the appreciation on the total asset value while having just a small percentage of your, very small percentage of your own money in the deal, right? And then multifamily also cash flows really well, right? It provides with passive income that can be tax-free after depreciation. And then there's, we have housing shortage, right? So there's a demand for it. There's massive housing shortage across the United States due to 
the lack of construction during the subprime mortgage crash in 2008. And then to go along with the demand, affordability. And the last thing I want to add is just tax advantage. When you refinance, depreciation, tax deductible mortgage interest rate, it's just as the more I study into it, the more I feel like, okay, this is the, this is where I need to be at. Yeah. And I think the other nice thing is that there's a variety of types of deals, even within just multifamily, in terms of finding an investment that's right for different types of investors. Some investors are, like you said, looking for cash flow. They want cash flow relatively quickly and they want it consistently. So there's some deals that are more stabilized that are going to start kicking off cash flow right away because maybe they were just being mismanaged. They were using overpriced contractor services like the lawn guy and the pest guy. And so if you're able to go in there and right away just renegotiate some of those contracts and reduce expenses, then you could start kicking off cash flow pretty quickly. But then for those other investors who are more content with the long-term play and they're more concerned with that appreciation on the back end, that equity, Versus the cash flow, you might have like a heavy value add deal where you need to go in and do a whole lot of construction and then get all those units leased up. And so they may not see a distribution for a year or more, but that's okay for them because in the timeline that they're looking at, content with that 2x multiple that they might be getting after that five-year hold. So I think that's the nice thing. You can find different types of deals, even within multifamily that fit different investor types. Absolutely. Yeah. Like me, you've been on both sides of the active and passive sides of a deal. Can you talk about, did you start with passive investing and then transition to the active side or did you start off active first? I would say I start off active first. Interesting. Yeah. And what, I guess, why did you, why are you pursuing passive investing as well? Just so people understand, you know, what the advantages are. Because I think some people just have this idea in their head, like, oh, you, you start out passive, but then you go active and that's what you do. But I know, I don't think that's necessarily the best strategy. And I'll talk about my thoughts in a second, but I want to know why you started active, but also pursued the passive side. Yeah, absolutely. So I think... The reason why I would say I started up active is because when I acquired my two-bedroom, one-bathroom condo, I managed everything by myself while still having a job. And you can say that's passively, you're inv- I'm investing passively, but in, in reality, I had to deal with tenant, finding the tenants, deal with maintenance, and pretty much just manage the property all by myself. And I think it's important for people to start off that way because they then they know what it's like to own a piece of real estate. Right, you can't expect what's coming if you are looking to add more to your portfolio, whether it's through real estate syndication or acquire more single-family residents on your own, right? Because now you know what to expect, and you can hold the the people who's managing your property accountable for what is it that you are you're expecting to get out of this piece of real estate you're owning. I think it was really great for me to actually go through. The, the process and learning everything on my own first. And then once I got that passive stream of income, once I basically just have a system that it just runs on, on, on its own, I really have to check on it anymore with that condo. I understand, okay, this is the route I want to be taking. You know, I want to be investing more passively than be more active. I can focus on my time and energy 
on doing something else that's going to generate more revenue for me than spend my time managing real estate. Okay. So, and, and when I said active, I was thinking just on the syndication side of things, but you're right. If you're self-managing, you're getting a lot of that experience, just maybe at a smaller scale than with you would with commercial uh, multifamily. I was the same way having self-managed a, a triplex, right? Again, I felt it was taking up so much of my time that it was actually detracting me from more profitable ventures. I'll say that's when I decided to just go ahead and get rid of it and focus more on the commercial multifamily side of things. So can you tell me a little bit more about your first deal as a general partner? Sure. It, took, it, it did take a process. So after the lockdown, I started studying syndication and I came across this podcast called the Real Estate Guy Radio Show and constantly pitch about real estate syndication, doing bigger deals. Why play small when you can play big? So I went out to network and eventually I went to one of their biggest networking event called Investor Summit. They do that once a year. It's in Belize, used to be on, on the cruise. And I met my business partner there. And the reason why I'm constantly going out to networks because after learning about syndication, I realized how much of the pieces of the puzzle that I'm missing. I'm pretty much missing everything. <laughs> Raising the capital, finding the deals, finding a team that has track record of success and so forth. Once I met my business partner at Investor Summit, I basically leveraged his network and his track record to be able to syndicate my first deal out in Orlando, Florida. And, and yeah, so that's basically how I got from point A to where I'm at now. Yeah. And that's a really important point in terms of if you're trying to break into this business <clears throat> and you don't have that experience, that you almost have to partner up so that you can leverage the experience of others. Not just so you can learn from them, but legitimately, like people will not trust you necessarily as a syndicator unless they see that you, ha you have surrounded yourself with people who have done this before. And I think that's a, a fair judgment. So again, for those people who are looking to get into this game on an active basis, don't get discouraged because you don't have experience. Just find someone who does and find a way to add value to that person so that you can leverage that relationship and then go ahead and get into a deal. So my thoughts on the having this passive investment piece and just starting with that and moving into the active side of things. I personally want to, I did start off passive, but then I'm obviously active now. But at a certain point, I would like to just be doing passive, right? Just analyzing deals, vetting sponsors. And then if I can get that, again, that point, that cash flow to where it's coming in enough to where I don't have to work as actively as I am now, I think that's the ultimate goal. So I know a lot of people love love this stuff and love being very active within their deals. But if I can get to the point where I can be like a KP and just sign on loans and do passive investments and still be getting significant cash flow from that, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Absolutely. But, okay, now I think it's time to transition into the turbo round. So I'm going to ask you three questions that I ask every guest that I have on this show. And I just ask that you answer them honestly and quickly. So the first one is, 
What is one red flag every investor should look out for? I'm going to have to go with an obvious one, which is don't invest with people or groups that don't have any skin. in. The Let's say, for example, if I try to sell you a deal and I don't invest in it, how do you expect me to believe in it? Our interest has to be aligned. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. And I don't disagree at all. I think it's really important that every active investor have some money in the deal. And, but I think there's also a tempering of expectations that you have to do with some, especially newer passive investors, to where they think you're going to have an equal amount of money that they do in a deal, right? So it's like if that passive investor puts 100000 in, they shouldn't necessarily expect every GP to be putting 100000 in as well, because the problem becomes we can only do so many deals if we're putting a huge amount of money into each deal that we're doing. My, my cash vault isn't limitless, and you're limited as that active investor as to how much you can put into each deal. Because I hear some folks say, oh, you need to be putting in at least this percentage of your net worth into the deal. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense because then I'd only be able to do one deal, maybe two deals a year. That it, And these deals last five to seven years. That money is locked up. So I think, I think it's both, right? I think every sponsor should absolutely have money into their own deals so that they have that skin in the game. But passive investors need to understand that it may not be the same amount that they have in the deal. All right, second question. What is a myth about this business that you would like to set straight? I don't know if you come across this type of problem, Tim, but some when I pitch the real estate syndication to my investors, some of them actually think that it's only for cash investors. A myth that I want to I want to clear about is that while many real estate syndication do require cash investment, there are opportunities to invest using retirement funds, for example, or other types of account like self-directed IRAs. And you can also 1031 exchange into a real estate syndication deal using tenants in common setup. So that's something that I think most a lot of investors just need to be more aware of. Yeah, exactly. And of course, there's certain stipulations with all this stuff. Tenant in common through the 1031, that can get complicated. So I know a lot of, I know a lot of sponsors just don't feel like dealing with it from an administrative right. perspective, but it certainly can be done. So it's usually just the case that the amount of money that they're coming in with needs to make that payment. And then I am 100% with you on the self-directed IRAs because I myself have a solo 401k and have invested in two deals now, two multifamily deals using that money. One that went full cycle and then I just reinvested in, a, in another deal after that. So it, when you have that checkbook control, it's just that easy. And a lot of people don't realize that, one, people don't realize that they have can have control over their retirement funds. But that's the first barrier that we need to get over with people. So many folks have these orphaned 401ks from a company they left five years ago, and they've just been in fund A or fund for that entire time, not realizing that they can roll that over into a self-directed IRA and invest it however they want, whether they want to put it in gold or multifamily or crypto, although I wouldn't advise it right now. And so the point is they can have control over those funds. It's just most of the Wall Street firms don't want them to know that. All right, the final question, what does success look like to you? 
I'm gonna have to use one of the quotes out there, which I'm pretty sure everybody has seen it. Success is not is in the journey, and not the destination. I think I first heard this quote actually come from the great Kobe Bryant, which I'm a Lakers fan, and I re- with it because no matter how tough the road gets, I thrive on these challenges and. By overcoming these obstacles, I feel a sense of fulfillment and growth, and I think that's really the rewarding part for me. Yeah, absolutely, love that. All right, hey Jim, this has been amazing. Please tell our guests how they can get a hold of you, and if you have anything else that you would like to share with them. Yeah, sure. You guys can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Formosa Investing, and be sure to check out. My website, formosainvesting.com. And on the website, you can download my free ebook. Talks a little bit more about my personal journey of how I became a real estate syndicator. Awesome. We'll make sure that we have all of that stuff in the show notes. I appreciate you coming on and I look forward to continuing to see you do big things on your journey to multifamily millions. Thank you, Tim, for having me. You've been listening to the Journey to Multifamily Millions podcast with host Tim Little. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review as well to help us reach more people like you. For more information on how you can start your journey to multifamily millions, visit ZanaInvestments.com. And remember, every journey starts with a single step and there's always more to learn.